South Dakota State Jackrabbits migrated to Iowa City to face Kirk Ferentz's formidable foul in the form of the Iowa Hawkeyes. A ferocious field position battle ensued with the Hawkeyes performing precision punts pinning South Dakota State in the shadows of their end zone seemingly every single possession. The Jackrabbits scratched their way to a 3-3 stalemate at halftime against the Hawkeyes' hard shell of a defense. In the second half, pinpoint punts precipitated the perpetual poor field position for the Jackrabbits. The impressive and illustrious Iowa defense spelled inescapable doom for the jumbled Jackrabbits offense. Iowa opened the second half scoring by stupendous safety, stretching their slim scoreboard superiority to 5-3 over the shaky South Dakota State squad. The illuminated Iowa defense repeated the stunning safety shenanigans shocking the stunned and subdued set of South Dakota State and took a 7-3 lead late into the fourth quarter. The Hawkeyes squelched, smothered, and squashed the final do-or-die dalliances for the final four minutes of the fourth quarter. The aghast and appalled audience were awestruck by the acrimonious action they attended. Iowa 7, South Dakota State 3. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Sickos Committee Podcast. This is the review of week one, which had some absolutely amazing moments that we're really excited to talk about. With me tonight are Commissioner Escalante, member in good standing Michael, and of course I'm Jordan, the VP of Graphic Design and a bunch of other things as well. We want to let you guys know that tonight we are recording this on Sunday night during the Florida LSU game. We've watched the first half, so we know for sure now that LSU and Florida State are absolutely top 10 defenses. They must be amazing because it's only 7-3. Clearly, playoff lock for both teams. This is absolutely, this is a playoff preview, guys. I guarantee it. Guaranteed. They'll likely move up in the Sickos rankings after this game. You know, we we had feared that everybody would overreact to this game. Uh, Like, hey, Florida State's back. LSU's back. Um, That first half probably kind of. Uh, calmed everybody down, so there may not be an overreaction. Just just whoever loses this, just nothing but dread and despair for the rest of the season. Brian Kelly's uh, Brian Kelly's really got that LSU offense clicking, and I just don't know what gear he's got it in. Like he he, it's to... clicking like like my old Honda used to, where I tried to turn it <laughs> over and it just would click 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 click, and nothing would happen. Yeah. <laughs> we do we are very happy to say that LSU chose to start. Our Detmer darling and Arizona State transfer Jaden Daniels. He is one of our favorites. We're glad he's at LSU. We hope that things get better for him there. Well, gentlemen, uh, Commissioner, we'll start with you. How did you feel about Week One? It, it was it was fantastic. Um, honestly, I I'm very amazed at what occurred. <laughs> this week, like the season started, and for some odd reason, our follower count on the Twitter account just went absolutely. It just blew up. I mean, we're we're approaching thirty thousand followers. Um, yeah, we're I mean, one we're, of our two as of as of right now at nine p.m. Central on the fourth. We are forty people short of thirty thousand. <laughs> this again is 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 the Twitter account that was meant to entertain thirty people, thirty to fifty people maximum, uh, and this is this is just keeps growing further and further and. Uh, beyond our imaginations at this point we we don't really we can't take credit for this we just we just tweet and we want to thank all the college football teams we're going to be talking about today about 
the 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 glorious games that they played over the week. And I, I'm oh man, this week <laughs> like I'm I'm almost speechless, man. This week was I mean started on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh man, it was just and then you know right now Sunday it it's just the week that that keeps on giving. Uh, it's been amazing for us. <laughs> we're glad that everybody wants to follow uh, because we're we're just loving every game. It's it's fantastic. Michael, how was your week one? Oh man, it was great. It I watched so much football on Thursday and Friday between the brawl on Thursday and then just all day on Saturday. It's been it's been wonderful. And I mean, I can never complain when BYU wins by 29 and Utah loses. Uh, it was a good, it was a good week. Is that, is that, is that the, for, for USC, the, there was a, the USC perfect day is a Notre Dame loss, a UCLA loss and a USC win. So for BYU yep. fans is, is perfect day. Utah loses, Utah state loses, BYU wins. I mean, Utah state whatever yeah but, <laughs> nah, it, BYU win Utah loss that's that's a perfect Saturday right there we can start with our Thursday games the backyard brawl brought it I think we were all expecting things to get weird and it just turned out to be a really great game pit one 38 31 with some end of the game last minute fun and yeah it was just a really great game there was a lot of momentum swings. Uh, like, you know, Pitt would go up by like seven, and then all of a sudden West Virginia just scores 14 on Hensard, and then Pitt does the same thing, and then they're back ahead seven. And it it was just one of those games that they need to play every year. I don't I don't care that they're not in a conference. They, they need to play each other every year. And make as commissioner happen. of the Sickos Committee, I would like to make that rule. Uh, they need to play every year, every year. This vote has been seconded. I 100% agree. I think we all knew that that you know the bad blood is still there. You know that that's going to be a rivalry for a long time because of past things. But to have a ten-year hiatus and then come back like this is about all you could ask for in terms of these kinds of games. So I think good. that watching Pitt after a year of high-flying passing go back to a going to run the ball at people's heads game was really fun too. Uh, this is you know we all knew that this is what Pat Narduzzi actually wants to do. He doesn't like that that passing game garbage. So this is sort of back to what he wants to do. And I thought both USC quarterbacks on both sides of the brawl acquitted themselves pretty well. They were better than I expected. We'll also talk a little bit about Purdue Penn State. Purdue came so close. So close to knocking off Penn State. But I think the thing that everyone I'm talking about is the puke six. Uh, was, uh, after, after, after getting in our heads from Coach Frost that puking is winning, we got to see it in action this weekend. I mean, it, this, this year has just started with, with, with puking. Uh, I mean, it's just Scott Frost's O-line coach saying they're puking 15 to 20 times a, a, a practice. So a daily practice. And then for some odd reason, the puking thing keeps happening. I'm like, it needs to stop, please. We we had it happen in this game, and then another game. I it's just like, can you get the cameras? You know, I'm, it's making me a little queasy because I may have a little puke six at my house, <laughs> so we can just stop so, with that. Just so you guys know, if you type in puke six into Google, it already comes with puke six Purdue video. It already like it already knows what I want, so that's great. <laughs> Even like the, the 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 college football on Fox YouTube video for it is called the Puke Six. So this is the thing. It's it. It's it's in the it's in the it's in the um, vernacular now. Yep. 
Friday, Friday, or sorry, Thursday night also had a game that I feel like we were the only ones watching. Not because, well, for many reasons. One, because it was FIU playing a FCS team, but also because the video quality was so awful that I'm not sure anyone could watch it. It was great. It, like every time we see a game in FIU and, and I watch, I jokingly call it the swamp turf because you the camera quality is so bad. I can never tell if the turf is dry or wet. So supposedly it was raining. So I, every time I watch an FIU game, I have to check the forecast. I'm like, is it raining? It, it just looks so gloomy. And then like the camera lenses change back and forth. It's, it's they hired us to run the cameras. I think I always feel like FIU just every year would just take the turf from Tropicana and install it there because it's never the same shade of whatever color it is, and the camera angles make it look shiny and yet hard at the same time, and so you don't know what that field is actually made of. The best is that, yeah, like it's and it's not even they don't have one of the fancy colored turfs. It's just a shade of green that is unnatural. It just <laughs> it never looks quite right. And between that and the weird end zone angles and the camera dude who just couldn't quite get the ball in the screen and the two cameras with different white balances. So it kept looking like it was like midnight. It was just an absolutely bizarre game to watch not the well maybe the most bizarre game in terms of camera work this weekend but there were some other ones too also florida international came up with a big win and we're saying this not jokingly because they beat an fcs team that absolutely took them down to the wire in overtime bryant should have won that game bryant had a big lead they were up 16 to 6 they had a they had somebody running down for a last second kick return and then the 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 swamp monster turf got him and he fell like by himself there was nobody around him and that really kind of got him got him in the uh if they would have got that touchdown i don't know if FIU could have came back also i wanted to shout out uh Akron and St. Francis Frankie the Friar a great mascot in the lexicon that we need Frankie the Friar i i probably tweeted about him a lot i forgot what somebody said about him but somebody called him frankie the flasher i mean they are the red flash but i'm like uh with him having a robe on uh you know maybe maybe not a good thing for saint francis but they took akron overtime and they almost pulled it off too the same with the fcs teams uh it was the thursday night almost fcs over fbs upset it was so close i'll throw portland state in there too portland state took san jose state not quite to the end, but pretty darn close. Uh, I think most people were asleep for that one. But yeah, Portland State absolutely took San Jose and their uh, under construction stadium. Do they still, San Jose State still has like a half their stadium just not there, right? It's getting closer. It's not finished? Not, not no? quite. No, okay. I think, I think they're still missing an away stand or something. We'll go, to, we'll go to Friday, and Friday had what we thought was going to be the craziest and most fun game for the weekend. We were wrong, but that's fine. We we sort of had tagged Old Dominion and Virginia Tech for a lot of reasons, and we had lots of teams going to their G5 counterparts in state this weekend to run close games, but Virginia Tech got got, got by the Old Dominion Monarchs. Again. Uh, again. So that's I think the series is two and two now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And as we found, and as we found out, Virginia Tech, you're locked into this hell cage for the next ten years. That's right. It's a home and 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 home. I think uh, did I get that right? It's yeah, close enough. You nailed you, it. Yeah, <laughs> you you are locked in there, Virginia Tech, and the beatings like will continue elevator. until you improve. <laughs> yeah, 
And speaking of speaking of locked in, Commissioner, let us uh, tell us about what happened. So there's always this unknown thing in like college football or like like basically you know about it, but you don't really think about it too much. So what happens is like the offensive coordinators or the defensive coordinators who are in the booth uh, watching their teams play always run for the elevators to get down to the locker room at halftime. Well, in this case, halftime was over, but apparently the coaches for Virginia Tech couldn't get back up to the press box because they were stuck in the elevator. I mean, that's kind of like some people's worst nightmare, (laughs) you know, if you're claustrophobic. But that just tells you how bad, and that was such an ominous sign for Virginia Tech for the rest of the game. Like, they kept trying to take the lead. They were up 17-10. You think they could maybe do it and put it away. But it, it didn't seem like it was in the cards. Uh, you had the crazy guy with the chokehold sign. The the old man after the uh, botched snap field goal return for a touchdown. Virginia Someone's Tech. Dad. Someone's dad out there just being the hardest dad he could be. That's right, man. The, the Norfolk Norfolk dads. Just giving the choke sign after that. Like, living it up. I, I, I want somebody to interview him if you can find him. We weren't surprised that Old Dominion held him close. I was surprised that... That it, it it ended up going the way it did. I thought Virginia Tech was going to hold. It was going to be close, but Virginia Tech would pull out the end, and they just couldn't. And Virginia Tech fans, like bless them. At least they have senses of humor because, like, that is a I'm going to become the Joker moment. Virginia Tech going forward, they do. So Virginia Tech on September 22nd does play West Virginia at home. That should be a pretty interesting game. Both teams sort of just taking wild swings at each other. Is that the Black Diamond game? Isn't that when they try to make like they try to make something? Out of that? No, that's a real rivalry. That's a real, like, okay, that's a real rivalry. Virginia Tech and West Virginia. It's, a, it's not like the civil conflict. No. Uh, it's the real, Black Diamond Trophy. Real, real, is great. That's right. It's a real, real um, rivalry. Come on, man. That's a real, real. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Brent Pry, head coach of Virginia Tech. Very first game as head coach of Virginia Tech. And you lose to Old Dominion. <laughs> uh, the Hokey fans um, are not going to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick Saban lost in his first year to ULM, and look where he is now. So, yeah. <laughs> Hokies, what, Hokies, what we're saying, national championships here on out. You're good, that's, guys. That's right. That's, that's the way it's going to work. <laughs> uh, on Friday, we also did have our first FCS win, and it wasn't a close one. Charlotte got absolutely nuked by both William and Mary. I mean, they were playing two people. That's not fair to Charlotte. It, it's really Everybody odd. makes that joke. Yeah, everybody's going to make that joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Charlotte, William, and Mary released a Christmas album in the 70s. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. And then this is Charlotte, (laughs) William, and Mary. (laughs) Definitely. That does sound like a 1970s. The folk trio. Folk (laughs) trio. Maybe like the Lumineers of their time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh And now, and now they tour. You know, they tour every once in a while just to keep it going. They just have fun. They have fun with it. Hey, I'm William, and my wife is Mary, and we saw you over there at the other side of the bar. Uh, <laughs> go tribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Long and short of it, go tribe. You guys absolutely tribe. beat that beat that ass. Uh, Charlotte's coach has been around for how long now? This is Will Healy, right? Yeah, this is his. Oh man, Will Healy's younger than me. That's ooh. If he's younger than you, then he's definitely younger than me. <laughs> so, so Will Healy, yeah. So he was, he's been head coach. He was head coach at Austin P until 2018, and they got the Charlotte job in 2019. 
yeah, this is it's not going great for him there. Charlotte made a bowl game with him. Like they they were doing well and now his his first year, yeah. The first his first year they made the Bahamas Bowl and then since then it's been just this skid. And the worst part is like you can't be like, Oh well, it's the sun no, they're in conference USA. Like this isn't this isn't you know only for a few more months than they're going to the American. Yeah, so so, oh, no. Mr. Healy may be on the hot seat a little bit here. Uh, oh, definitely God. not an ideal situation because they want, I think they're making the leap next year. So they're looking for something good to make the jump up. And then they lost to another team in their conference that's jumping up to the American. And then they had this happen. So maybe a little bit of shaky ground for Mr. Healy. Yeah. Giving up an average of 42 points per game while scoring oh, God. just less than 20 points a game in two games is not good on friday night also we thought we were going to see the most big 10 game we'd see all weekend we were like illinois indiana this is going to be like a, and it was it was low it was moderately low scoring but it was just like a sticky gross morass of big 10 football uh, on the go-ahead drive the indiana won the on they got it was a 75 yard drive and the entire rest of the second half they only had 70 yards. That's, big 10 football, baby. Catch the fever. Catch the Big 10 fever. That's right. It's just ridiculous. This this game was, there was a questionable call for Illinois. They probably could have had another touchdown and they could have salted it away. But, you know, little did we know the Big 10 refs were like, no, let's keep Indiana in the game. Illinois couldn't put them away. And then classic Indiana come from behind victories they do this all the wait no that doesn't happen no not never at all what (laughs) indiana come back from behind normally it's the other way around right they're the one that blow that blows the lead (laughs) well it's a role reversal (laughs) it was it was illinois so i mean one of them was gonna do it (laughs) that's the best part about this game is it's like someone had to win someone had to lose like both, both were tried. just like, you take it, you take the win. No, you take it. And then, you know, Indiana at the end was like, oh, okay, let me hurry up and, and, and finish my homework before it's due. And, <laughs> and got the touchdown drive in with a few seconds left and, and pulled off the win. I said, we thought that was going to be the most Big Ten thing we'd seen, but we'll go to Saturday morning. Iowa, you guys played a game that I don't think anyone was quite ready for emotionally. Physically, mentally, spiritually, you played South Dakota State and you won seven to three in 60 American minutes of football. But that seven, you scored three times to get seven points. You won seven to three in a game that was tied three to three. Iowa, you broke football math. It was such to call it a defensive struggle or a defensive, a defensive stand, I think really undersells it. Because that implies that the offenses were doing anything. This this was the yeah. ultimate Kirk Ferentz game. This was like the Kirk Ferentz bowls a perfect game. I'm just going to say that. This is Kirk Ferentz's perfect game. This is what he wants. He, he wants defense, field position. He kept South Dakota State pinned back the whole game, except for the time that they got the field goal. Basically, Iowa made, made a mistake, and South Dakota State was able to drive 11 yards to get a field goal. Mm-hmm. And that was their longest drive of the day 
for South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits. They 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 moved eleven yards and they got points. But this was Kirk Ferentz's ideal game. Like this is what he wants. He wants to win with field position, defense, not too much offense. Which I'm sure Hawkeye fans like. I believe there was a chant from what I heard is that they were chanting to fire Brian Ferentz in the middle of the game. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, we, we, I think everybody's already made this, this joke or observation that to get three points, two safeties, a field goal and two safeties to equal seven points, it is now called the Iowa touchdown. That's it. <laughs> it is It is the Iowa touchdown. It takes three scores to get seven points. That is Iowa math. And, and honestly, I mean, they won the game. But I think we there was a picture, like, nobody knew what to think or how to feel after the game. Nobody knew. Everybody was just in the stands, like, in this weird sense of malaise, just awestruck of what happened. Just like, what? How am I supposed to? We, we won, but at this was probably the... Yeah, at what cost? This is the worst thing I've probably ever seen in a game in my life. And, I mean, of course, we absolutely love it. Because, I mean, that's what we appreciate, like, no matter what they do. But I feel like this is the the Ference's final form, where he just punts. And, I mean, there were so many punts downed inside the five. South Dakota State could not get out of their the shadow of their own end zone. I mean, Kirk Ference South, had to be South, loving it. South Dakota State's punter had a bad day for a bit. They were, oh, think, yeah. like, like, going off his foot in weird directions. Highlighting how perfect the game was for, for Brian Ferentz, or for Kirk Ferentz. Ten punts, ten first downs. Say the line, perfectly balanced, as all things should be. They should be. Uh, <laughs> South Dakota State, six first downs, 11 punts. This is. I mean, that sounds like a defensive masterpiece. It must have been. Total yards for the entire game, both teams together, was 280-ish. There were individual players this weekend who got more than 280 yards. So there were 16 first downs total in that game. Both West Virginia and Pitt each had more than 20 first downs in the brawl. Everything about this. And and you're thinking like, oh, Iowa must have run the ball a whole bunch. Nope. They rushed for 57 yards. Passed for 109. That's a winning stat line. Go, Kamesh. I don't know if you're going to go to – you're going to – Spencer – uh, Petrus's QBR rating was 1.1. And this that, that... game broke math so bad. Just broke <laughs> math. Iowa was not playing football. This was a performance art piece. And I am mm-hmm. so glad that we were all able to witness it. Yeah, I I, I can imagine that I, I've been to enough like really weird modern art museums in my life to know that if you like took video of this game, put it on a VHS and played it on like an old school CRT TV and just put like a little like label next to it. People would stand by it and go, this is, this represents the futility of man. This represents our struggle in the 21st century to balance ourselves with nature and society. I'm seeing this and it's a beautiful piece of art. Like yes. com- like Kamish said, the longest scoring drive was 11 yards and the second longest scoring drive was negative eight yards because it was a safety. It just, it really, it really was just, it was too beautiful for our eyes to to actually witness what was actually happening. Is it possible we already have the sickos game of the year in week one? Like, a lot of people were saying, a lot of people were saying that. And I like, I, it's uh, hard for me to disagree. 
it's I, I, I last mean, year we started off with Nebraska getting a safety in the end zone in week zero. Yeah. And now we have Iowa with two safeties to score seven. Like college football is the gift that just keeps on giving. There, there was another stat of this game. Let me just throw that out there. But this game had, I think, like 100 or almost 200 yards less than the Iowa 6-4 Penn State game. The Iowa-Penn yeah. State 6-4 game. It, mm-hmm. it, it really, like basically whatever team got the ball, you were amazed if they got a first down. It, it was just <laughs> incredible. Honestly, incredible. Incredible football. And, I mean, Iowa's definitely going to rock it up in our rankings uh, if they keep this up. And they play Iowa State next week, which always ends in some crazy, dumb fashion. Should be fun. I, I was going to score 400 next week. Just like, mark my words. They're going to <laughs> score like 70. See, I was going to say it's somehow going to end up 17 to 13 with one touchdown in the entire game. And at the exact same time as that game was going on, North Carolina played Appalachian State and Boone. They combined for about 1,200 yards. North Carolina <laughs> went for 567. App State went for 649. North Carolina had 30 first downs. App State had 38. App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. This is the same lost. sport. This is the same sport. This is the same sport. <sighs> North Carolina almost screwed their whole thing up because they returned an onside kick for a touchdown. And that almost made them lose the game. Now, it, every single coach who's ever yelled, just go down, just go down. Now you know why. Because they almost lost. Apparently, the coaches had either signs or were screaming to like, Neil, get down. North Carolina guys just didn't hear it. They're like, touchdown, baby, we're going. And they almost lost the game because of it. Each team averaged eight yards per play. Almost a first down per play in that game. Versus uh, about two yards per play. About two the yards per play. Contrast. The ultimate compare and contrast game. And they were both going on at the same time. The whiplash. Like, you could not, like, I mean, you just can't imagine, like, one game going this incredibly insane, and then the other game's the complete opposite direction, where, like, you're lucky to get a first down, the other one's, like, you're lucky to get a defensive stop. And they're going on at the same time on competing networks. It, it is just, whoever invented picture-in-picture picture is, I, I can't imagine if you had both of these up on your screen, or had them up on two screens, like, what you could have been feeling at the moment watching this crazy pinball game that's like just video game numbers touchdown after touchdown after touchdown compared to the other one going on at the same time that you're amazed and you're on every yard oh my god somebody got a first down i was on the on the on my drive i was listening to the varsity app listening to their blitz their um like their red zone version thing and steve hartzell from hand of the dirt podcast hosts it and they kept he kept saying my producer says we need to go back to South, uh, Iowa, South Dakota State. I don't know why, but I guess we're going there. <laughs> and they kept cutting back. <laughs> and like he was he was trying to be like positive about it. But clearly Hartzell was just like, this is like, why are we even covering this, guys? Let's go. Because because North Carolina State was going at the same time. North Carolina's going at the same time. And they kept cutting back to the Iowa game. And he just was like, my producer have to go there. So we're going to go there. OK, by my count. Just real quick, by my count, there were seven plays in the Iowa-South Dakota State game that went longer than eight yards <laughs> compared to that App State-North Carolina where both teams averaged eight plays or eight yards per play. Jesus. App State came so close. 
and just couldn't finish it. Same thing over in Greensboro. East Carolina took North Carolina State down to the wire. Had some college kicker weirdness, but both those teams did so well. And we love seeing the bigger in-state team go over to their G5 counterpart stadiums. We need more of this for sure. Yeah, Greenville was on. uh, I just, they almost, oh man, they almost won it twice. And they both, they failed twice. Like they did what NC State did. It it, it feel like the, it was a changing places moment where, you know, normally NC State misses the crushing field goal to win the game. But unfortunately, yeah. this time it was East Carolina. And so I guess maybe, you know, since, you know, they played at East Carolina Stadium, that, that avoided the heartbreak that would have happened if they were in like Carter-Finley Stadium for <laughs> where NC State plays. So maybe they avoided it that way. They, they, they avoided the House of Horrors by going to play at somebody else's stadium to make it their own house of horrors. That's the way it needs to work. If North Carolina State never played a home game, they'd be Alabama. Uh, Some other stuff that happened on Saturday. Oregon, you had a really bad day. You went to Atlanta for a neutral site game, quote unquote. Bo Nix had some Vietnam level flashbacks. You could tell that when things got getting rough, he was back in that headspace and Oregon just got run over by Georgia. Georgia looks really good. That's all I got to say about that one. Bo Nix punted. So Bo Nix had a 33-yard punt. That was probably the biggest highlight of the day I'd taken out of the Oregon game. Bo Nix had a punt. Yeah, Uh, Georgia Georgia might be good at this football thing. Yeah, I mean, bold statement, but I feel like we can back that up. Yeah, for sure. A game that we all thought was going to be great and ended up being great. UTSA in Houston in the Alamo Dome. UTSA coming off a really good season. Houston being Houston. Went to three OTs. Houston won it. Dana looked like the happiest man alive with his mullet. I I can't even say anything about that game. It was just a great game. And we were happy that it was there. And I think that the best part about it is that I, I forget who posted this, but that like all these talking heads were talking about things like, oh, playoff expansion, blah, 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 blah. Man, did you see a game where Houston and UTSA absolutely just like went on fire? I don't care about who cares about the, you know, the 12 teams in the playoffs, like whatever. This is fun. This is a great game, a legitimately amazing game. I mean, UTSA had that one too. And then Houston just goes on that run in the fourth quarter. Then UTSA has to kick the field goal to send it to OT. And oh, man. I was so rooting for UTSA after Dana said that they pump fake noise into the Alamo Dome. And, oh, man, I I knew some uh, UTSA fans who were real excited to yell at him about that. I mean, they they showed it, too. They kept making Houston take timeouts for, like, false starts or they couldn't hear. Uh, So, I mean, the the rowdy Roadrunner fans, they they went nuts. And they had every right to be. It was just kind of disappointing that they just couldn't hold on. In the second half, They their offense wasn't going. They had one big play, but really couldn't sustain any drives. And then defense probably just gassed at the end. And they still almost pulled it off. I, I can't believe they drove 55 yards in, in 23 seconds to kick a field goal. That was fantastic to send it in OT. So, I mean, I still think UTSA is going to have a fantastic season. But the, the meep meeps fell short a little bit. It was... Um, little bitter taste, but it's not a conference game. So uh, they still, I, I think they could probably win Conference USA handily if they, they can play like that every game. I think so too. I think that, well, Western Kentucky looks really good so far, but we'll see, we'll see sort of like how they go from there. That would be, I think that, that would be their biggest rival in that one. Hey, UConn, you won. That's and right. 
it was it wasn't like it was a little close, but then it it looked pretty good. Now I am going to complain about the broadcast on this one too. I was going to say it looked pretty good. I, I don't know <laughs> if I could say that. UConn <laughs> looked good. The broadcast? I don't know about that. <laughs> whatever Fox sixty one plus app plus whatever CW channel they were showing it on between reruns of Supernatural and Riverdale. That's right. Uh, the, the the broadcast, uh, our our good friend Tim Burke showed that the broadcast was basically encoded incorrectly or something like that. I don't know if I'm enough about it, but you could see the literal lines in the screen. And the score bug had the home team first, away team second, like soccer, and also had the score to the left of the teams as well. So it in the first quarter, it looked like a team had one point because the quarter was after things. It was, oh God, it was awful. It was very Central weird. Connecticut started off with a rouge. I mean, that's right. They got a great way to start the uh, game. And they had a sponsor all the way to the left. So it was like their sponsor or whatever it was. It was a parking LAX company. Parking no, it was Laz. L-A-Z. L-A-Z. It was a parking company that was parked in front of the score that looked like they had zero points. Uh, <laughs> and then everything was behind it. So we didn't know that we were going to go European style. Uh, I had no idea we were watching the Premier League with Hartford Athletic. It, it was ridiculous. It was a great game. I think there was a, a crazy doink field goal by Central Connecticut State. UConn was able to, you know, maintain and, and hang on, and they pulled away at the end to to get their first win of the season. So Jim Moore, Jim Moore Jr. has got to be happy with that, I guess. The Husky Revolution marches on. Rutgers beat Boston College, which that game happened, sure. But the most interesting thing was is that Rutgers had to punt on fourth and goal. That was, uh, yeah. I was watching that live, and I mean, it was all self-inflicted wounds. Like, Rutgers just totally did it to themselves. Like, like Boston College really didn't do much in this situation. Rutgers just basically shot themselves in the foot. They had five penalties and four plays. They were on the three, and they went back all the way to the 43. It was third. It was fourth and goal from the forty-three, and they punted. They downed it at the three, so they gained all their yards back. That they lost in penalties with the punt. So, <laughs> thank you, Rutgers. In the end, it just looks like they went for it on fourth down and didn't get it from the three-yard line. Playing the analytics—that's what, the, that's that's what right. it says to do. I need to. I need Gianno. to see how often we've ever had a fourth and goal punt. I think they had one. I think there was a tweet that ESPN Stats and Info said that it was the last time that happened was in like uh, 2020, I believe. Uh, Also, the way Rutgers won this game, they were down 21-15, and they went on a 12-play, 96-yard drive to score the game-winning touchdown by running the ball 11 times on that drive. 11 out of 12 plays, they ran the ball. Rutgers known for their hard-nosed running attack. Hard-nosed Rutgers Scarlet Knight football. Shiano must, I mean, Shiano must be just, just so enthralled with, with that last drive. Like, yeah. What I love about what Rutgers did there was they also, they scored 22 points. At one point, it, they were down 15 to 21, but they had 15 points off of two touchdowns and a field goal. Oh, God. Once again, we had lots of math breaking this weekend. Like math just uh-huh. ceased to work. Uh, by the way, if you're keeping track of where we are time-wise, Florida State's up 24 to 10 on LSU. It got out of hand. Brian Kelly's melting down on the sideline right now. His face is quite purple. Uh, it's it's he's being clowned on the internet right now. Welcome to LSU, 
Go Tigers. Uh, the chairman and I met up in Austin and got to go to the ULM Texas game, which was a lot of fun. The best moment was after the first drive, I was standing next to the chairman. We were standing. Texas fans were good standers. It was, I was impressed with that. And ULM goes back to punt. And the chairman goes, I don't like the way this looks. It looks like they're going to block it. They're going to come. I was like, it's the first punt of the game. It's whatever. If they're not going to do that, he goes, no, this looks bad. Everyone looks nervous. They're, this looks bad. And lo and behold, Gemini Escalante called it. They brought the house, blocked the punt, walked it into the end zone for a touchdown. You know, I've, I've been to many ULM games and I've been on the ones where they're on the road and they're playing, you know, giant teams, big, big payout games. And you can kind of sense from the kids, uh, you can see them playing and you're like, uh-oh. So, I mean, like ULM went three and out. Like they didn't execute well at all. They really didn't gain any yards. I think maybe they, they lost like three yards. They had like a delay of game penalty to start the game. Yeah, like, oh, this is not good. It's not going well. And then I saw... Like, Texas had everybody on the line except, like, a returner. And I'm like, oh, no. And just the gut feeling was they're bringing the house. And I'm like, please, you know, the three guys in the back, please maintain your lanes. Otherwise, it's getting blocked. Well, Texas sent three. One of the guys in the middle took the guy on the outside instead of the one in the middle. He came clean through all three of them and just blocked it. They picked it up, returned it for a touchdown. It was just... Oh, I could just see it I coming. I believe it. I, I, believe I was it. like, like, no, I'm like, nope, this is blocked. This is this is something where, I mean, I've watched a lot of bad football, and that's what we do here. And I appreciate all of it. But you can just sense the ominousness of it. And, I mean, it happened last year when they went to Coastal Carolina. Like, they just knifed right through right. on the that's first right. drive or the second drive, block, return for a touchdown. I'm like, oh, no. Like, the worst possible start that ULM could have. But there was a little, a little bit of reprieve on the next drive where Quinn Ewers' first pass was incomplete. The next one, ULM picked it off. And they, then they were able to cash it in for three. So it was 7-3 at one point. But then after that, it got a little, it got a little bit out of hand. And Terry Bowden had Quinn Ewers' uh, car towed. I'm 100% sure that was Terry. Terry did it. He made the call. Right. Terry he... pulled some strings at the Austin Police Department. He, I'm sure he's got connections there somewhere. He knew where Quinn was parked. And definitely got his vehicle towed because honestly, it was not nice of what, what they did to ULM. That was it was not nice. They didn't no. let him. They didn't let him cover the spread. Also, they didn't even let him hit the over. So I mean, so Terry close. was just like so close. they were close to both. Honestly, I mean, there were a few points away from the spread. Uh, the spread yeah. was I think thirty eight, and they lost by forty two. And then the over was sixty three and a half, and they scored sixty two points. That's why Terry towed your car. All right. The, the the moment that made me laugh the hardest was the chairman and I were, of course, keeping tabs on other games and stuff on our on our phones while the game was there, especially after things got a little out of hand. So we noticed that ESPN had announced that they were going to have game day at Texas next week against Alabama. And we were like, in oh. the middle of the game, yeah, in the middle of the game, in the middle of the and game. Then, and then they announced it at the game and the crowd reaction was like this cheer that melded into a, oh, no. Everyone sort of was, like had a moment of like, oh, it was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It was like, yeah. Oh, no. Like a collective trauma. They all realized what's going to happen. 
the student section, uh, there was they flashed to the student section after that, and and one Texas student uh, drew on his phone, and one of those like you know drawing apps, and he and it was very small on his you know, iPhone. It said, "We want Bama," and of course we tweeted about that, and and nobody in the crowd saw him and cheered, and there was no reaction to that when they saw that on the big screen, the the giant Cadillac screen, this this crazy monstrosity that Texas built in the end zone. Oh my God, this thing is just incredible. Like the end zone with the, the longhorn shape, they have players dancing and on like the sides of the screens after they make a three and out stop the, the Bevo image of uh, ripping through the horns of uh, the ULM logo. Every time there was a third down, there were lots of those. There, uh, there was a lot, yeah. I, I think ULM was maybe 6 of 16 on third down. So we did see Bevo a bit. And and Terry Terry won the time of possession battle. So ULM had like almost 37 minutes of time of possession. So he, he did his part there with 41 rushes. Yeah, he, he was trying to establish it. So you guys talked about that blocked punt there at Texas. Not sure if you saw the blocked punt from UCLA and Bowling Green, but that was my favorite blocked punt I think I've ever seen. Just destroyed that punter and <laughs> ends up in the end zone. Touchdown. And, and ran it back. It was it was a long run back too, wasn't it? It was it was like only like twenty yards, I think. But it yeah, like, it just just destroyed that punter. I've never seen a punter get that hit that hard legally. Nebraska, because you won, we're not going to pick on you this week. We're really happy for you. You took yeah. on a Dakota. You won. You you were tied at halftime, but you, you came out and did better. That's fine. Scott Frost made good adjustments. Oh, Baby steps. That, that, is a, that is a bold statement. We're going to say Scott Frost made adjustments. Good is a qualification <laughs> I am not willing to say. He adjusted and they won. Full stop. All that matters. Good job. Nebraska. Commissioner, Commissioner Weather games you got that you're interested in. The Wyoming and Tulsa game was fantastic. That, that one was just like a back and forth affair. It, it was incredible. And like the biggest lead of the game was only 10 points. And Tulsa took the lead. They were up 10 at the beginning of the fourth. Wyoming fought back all the way back, tied it up. And then they did something that I don't think I've ever seen before. They set up for like a 44-yard field goal to win the game. And the kicker hit it off the top of the upright, like the the absolute top of the upright. And the ball just like popped straight up. And then it went a little bit forward and fell short. And so they had to go to uh, overtime double OT and win it after Tulsa's kicker missed their their kick in, in double OT. But I've never seen I've never seen a ball hit the top of the upright. Like I just I'm, I'm watching it now. I didn't see this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just shot straight up. And I'm like, I've never seen that happen before. Like, I've seen the ball go directly over the upright. I've seen it, you know, doinking. I've seen the the rice one where they doinked like four times. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, but this one just hit the very top of the upright. And I don't know what happened, but it just shot straight up. And I've never seen that before. Like, okay, I, Craig, I, I, Craig Bull's reaction to it was great. Like, like he, like, like he's laughing and he hits the ground and looks just like. Even the punter is just like, I have no clue what just happened. They all look so confused. Nobody, I don't think anybody's ever seen this before, honestly. If the upright had a spike on the top of it, the ball would have been stuck there forever. You should get points. Think, you should get extra points for that. I've never seen this before. I wanted to discuss it. It was it was crazy. Like Wyoming pulls this 10-point comeback. 
They fight all the way down to get within kind of respectable field goal range. And he does the top of the upright. I've I just never seen it. I just wanted to mention it. It's just something that just so weird probably getting lost in all the craziness that happened this week. It's just something that I, I just I, I don't think anybody's ever seen it, honestly. And that's just something that I wanted to discuss because I'm glad Wyoming went on to win it because that would have been heartbreaking to like hit the top of the upright. And I mean, really, like it would have been good. It's it's crazy. I've never. That's got to be worth I, 10 points. Do that in the future. 10 points. God, I, like he, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. Like I didn't see this. I'm looking at it and just, I can't believe. And it just bounces. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because the top of the upright is flat. And you just, how does this right. happen? Like, what type of angle does this crazy ball have to, you know? I mean, it's nuts. But it was just something that that game had everything, really. Lead changes back and forth. I mean, there were swings, kind of like the backyard brawl. And these are two, like, G5 programs that are similar stations in their conferences. Like, they, they make bowl games. Uh, they're steady, good programs. And, and it was just a great game. Like, these games, when they play each other like that, I, I love when teams like Wyoming and, and Tulsa get together because they're they're almost like equals. And if they were, like, P5 teams, it, it would be, like, you know, game day worthy or, or right. something of that nature if they were both ranked. But they, just I love both of these programs. And, and just that game was just fantastic. Double OT, of course. Michael, any games you want to mention that you jumped out at you? Uh, well, I did want to shout out our other FCS upset, Delaware, the Blue Hen, right. taking down Navy. It it was a bad, bad football game. I watched way too much of that football game than I should have. <laughs> but it, it was, I I mean, I love the triple. I I get sucked in watching that, and Navy had to throw the ball so much because they just couldn't run the ball. Navy threw for oh, like 150 yards, I think. Oh in God. The yeah, it, it it was bad, but they only scored seven. Not not great, but also Boise State. Welcome to the committee. Oh, oh my God! I wasn't expecting that at all. They ran into the Beavers' chainsaw. I I totally missed that they had a cha- first. Like like I I told I uh, we were sitting in the stands and I told the commissioner I was like Oregon has a turnover chainsaw. He goes, Oh yeah, they had that for a while. I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of Oregon State football. I it's kind of hard to watch sometimes because uh, I don't get the Pac-12 network, and that's usually where they are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and, yeah they ran into the good. literal chainsaw i haven't been good for a while but uh no yeah boise state looked actual bad and so <laughs> i don't know if it was boise state looking actual bad or if oregon state is going to go to the rose bowl give me the beavers in the rose bowl that's that's my new goal this year boise state didn't score until the third quarter yeah yeah Something's real and wrong. It could have been so much worse. Oh, I think those are most of our big games. Uh, like I said, as we're wrapping up right now, Florida State 24, LSU 17. LSU has the ball and it looks like they're marching. So we'll see how that goes again. Yeah, f- I'm sure we're Florida all going to overreact fumbled. on this. Florida State just fumbled off the goal line to put the game away and LSU got it back. So I, I'm just going to say that we may have picked the the correct one for the sickos game of the week i don't want to like yeah. tip our cap or, or anything like that but we I, I just put it up there i was like hey did we make the correct call also i wanted to mention that uh we were going to be coming up with something called clock commander you know since sir big spur is back he he's not going to be called clock commander uh we or wanted to come general. up with a weekly award we wanted to come up with a weekly award called clock commander 
uh, and come up with some nominees of the coaches that, for some odd reason, they could not get command of the clock. So it's going to be a little bit sarcastic. The coach that has the worst game management. Uh, and definitely, this is going to be a lot of fun to try to figure this out and track it and see what coach uses their timeouts incorrectly, you know, forgets to call a timeout, who forgets to spike the ball, who runs the field goal team on when they didn't need to, something like that. So we're going to try to come up with something like that and, and maybe get some nominees. I believe NC State's coach may have been up for the award. Dave Doran, uh, yeah. He was definitely Dave up for Doran. it this week. He was up for it this week with that lovely, lovely, lovely timeout to give East Carolina time to compose themselves and miss a field goal. But maybe it was a little bit of icing. So Dave Dorn, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to give him the award. So we we got to think about that. And we're going to probably try to come up with something like that uh, for next week and, and monitor that a little bit closely when myself and, and Jordan are not at a game and we can fully experience all of the games, even though uh, we were able to get some good service and watch all the, the fun, uh, like Utah throwing the crippling interception to ruin their game uh, at Florida. And, and get I did see Billy one Napier's nomination win. for the referees in the Utah-Florida game as the clock commanders of the week for giving for giving Utah a fourth timeout in the fourth quarter. Well, gentlemen, I think we've had a good weekend. We got we have two more games. Like I said we're still keeping tabs on the LSU game, and then tomorrow night, tomorrow night, Georgia Tech, you're gonna you're gonna do your best. Go out there, have some fun. So it's real difficult for me to root for Brian Kelly, but Florida State had a 99.9 percent win probability. Just a few seconds ago before they fumbled and so now i'm really really rooting for lsu <laughs> Pull this we're gonna off. go the other way just right? to break some math yeah <laughs> definitely so i want to wish everybody a, a happy yes haha yes and uh, thank you for tuning in and we will be back later on this week to preview week two everyone have a good week and we'll see you then